from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, welcome, it's the Friday edition of America at Night. And our telephone number, if you want to join this late-night national town hall forum, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And it is Cinco de Mayo, that means it's official. Today is my birthday, 45 years young. And I'm having a blast today. It's been a great day. I'm uh, looking forward to having some fun tomorrow, too, on the weekend because I don't work tomorrow. And uh, it's hard to have, you know, a whole lot of Cinco de Mayo fun when everybody's out for happy hour right now. Right. It's 10 o'clock Eastern. This is happy hour ending and the night just starting. So we're going to do it together tonight live on the air. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Plus, we have some amazing guests with us tonight. We're going to get a, a report on the economy and the jobs report, uh, which was not that great, as you might imagine. Uh, with uh, E.J. Anthony in a little bit. Uh, plus, we're going to talk about this um, staggering new um, poll that came out, a survey that says that most people agree that there are two genders and it's determined at birth. Ha! Who would have thunk it? I know thunk isn't a word. It is in New York, though. And we're going to discuss that with Keith, Keisha King. Uh, plus, we're going to have a really interesting uh, conversation. I think you're going to like this one. On the relationship between stem cell therapy, biotechnology, and artificial intelligence. So uh, wait till you get a, a load of that one. We're going to really have a good time with that. And what I want to talk about now, though, because there's uh, you know some news out there. Obviously, today, Joe Biden met with um, AI developers at the White House. He seemed really lost. And, you know, part of my... Uh, I'm going to call it part of my show prep is my daily coffee run to the Cuban place. And I remember going there earlier today and the guy telling me, <laughs> and he, he's a pretty fair guy. You know, he, he doesn't like Trump, but he, um, he, uh, occasionally he'll make fun of Biden. And today he tells me, he calls him the little old man in Spanish, El Viejito. And he tells me, he says, man, El Viejito was really lost today. He was totally um, like supportive of this stuff. And he says, this AI stuff, this stuff will absolutely leave everybody without work and it'll destroy everything. And he started explaining how, and again, he looks at things quite uniquely because he was, he came up under communism and, and he says, I don't see how that fits in this country. And it really doesn't because ultimately it, um, you know, when you, he, and he's taking the argument to its most logical uh, extreme, which is, if AI begins to rule the roost everywhere, how do we really have a free market if so much of it is controlled and contrived by technology? And um, I, at first, I didn't understand the angle he was taking, but then I got it and I, I agreed. It's no longer really a free market if, if the, the government is somehow involved in tipping the scale to promote this type of technology, which is what I think he was getting at. So... Uh, we're going to have that discussion a little bit later. But uh, first, I want to talk about this uh, World Health Organization, because the World Health Organization has officially declared 
Cinco de Mayo, by the way, <clears throat> that COVID is over more than three years after the pandemic began. Uh, so earlier today, the uh, WHO or the WHO declared that COVID-19 was no longer a global health emergency and the very famous, or I should say infamous, Dr. Tedros Adam Grabjibjibjib, um, if I said that wrong, it was probably on purpose because I can't pronounce this guy's name. He uh, announced uh, a little bit earlier that the virus was first labeled a public health emergency and now they've uh, they've called it quits. So here's the quote. The emergency committee met for the 15th time and recommended to me that I declare an end to the public health emergency of international concern, Tedros said. According to the BBC, I've accepted that advice, and it is therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. Now, let me tell you, if I had this job, and if you've ever served on a board or anything like that, you realize that even if you're the chair of the board, you're not really the boss of anything, right? You're, you're working uh, as, you know, the person that's kind of calling the role, calling for the votes, but you're not, you know, you're not in charge. You can't make a decision without the rest of the board. And you would think that the World Health Organization is similar. However, he sounds like he's some sort of king issuing a decree here. You know, I hereby declare. That's that's a little heavy-handed for me. I think this is why people get so alarmed when they hear that that the World Health Organization is, uh, you know, going to try to take over uh, stateside health policy in, in the event of a global pandemic that they have, you know, uh, they get they move from the shotgun seat to the driver's seat when, you know, nobody elected them. They're not a part of our system. And obviously this is a, a bad idea. But all that being said, that's what he says. Uh, let me read it again. I, uh, I, hear, I hereby declare. I mean, that's just, uh, it's therefore with great hope that I hereby declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. So uh, kudos uh, to them, I guess, right? We've got to congratulate them and be happy that they're finally declaring this thing over. Maybe that means, you know, people in certain parts that have been, um, that haven't gotten back to normal, maybe they can get back to normal. I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, the whole thing. But that's where we are. Now, in a separate story, an interesting one, by the way, Rand Paul, Dr. Rand Paul, um, he made some comments with respect to how people feel about Anthony Fauci. And he's saying that the consensus is switching on Fauci. And um, I think he might be right, to tell you the truth. Um, Rand Paul says that Democrats are quietly beginning to understand they got it wrong on COVID. Their orthodoxy was wrong and the imagined uh, ineffability of Anthony Fauci. Now, remember back when Senator uh, Paul would question Dr. Fauci about the funding of gain of function research and Fauci would get really mad and uh, say things like, uh, Senator Paul, uh, you do know what you're talking about. And I think uh, to say officially, uh, you do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? And uh, Fauci was always um, interesting to watch. Well, after uh, a few of these jousting matches, and again, this is according to um, an article in basedpolitics.com, uh, after jousting a few more times in Senate hearings, Senator Paul uh, continued asking these important questions that, quite frankly, no reporter was ever going to ask about the U.S., National Institute of Health's alleged involvement in the Wuhan lab in China. Now, Fauci just kept saying pretty much every single time the senator didn't know what he was talking about. Well, turns out, looks like he knew what he was talking about. 
what was once alleged as a conspiracy theory, and we know this from a couple of months ago, uh, has been you know pretty much proven that there was gain-of-function research where the U.S. was providing money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for them to go ahead and make this virus more um, lethal and more contagious uh, in the event, in the hopes, as they say, to prevent it um, from happening at that level, at that scale, and so that they're prepared to do it. You know, I don't know. I just can't imagine. You know, I'm, I'm a very simple guy in many ways. In some ways, I'm complicated, but in ways like that, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, we'd like to know how your face is going to heal from a black eye. So we've decided to punch you in the, both eyes. You know, we're going to punch you in both eyes and give you a bloody nose because we really want to see how quick the healing time is. I mean, th- th- to me, that's the philosophy we're using here. You're going to do something that's injurious to someone else and uh, do it in the name of, you know, hopefully uh, we're measuring what's right and what's wrong. So anyway, uh, straight ahead, we're going to get to this uh, story, this survey on most Americans believing that there's only two genders and as novel as this idea might be, that they're determined at birth. Go figure. Anyway, uh, Keisha King is a uh, parents' rights advocate and uh, uh, concerned parent, and she's been terrific on these issues if you've seen her on the news. And she's going to join us to discuss that straight ahead, at least she's scheduled to. So if you have any questions on that, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. A councilman is coming out as a transgender, as transgender, and a woman of color. Delaware County Councilman Ryan Webb announced that he now identifies as an Indian American woman. Since that announcement, he's received some support, but a lot of backlash, many calling him childish, despicable, even calling for things like execution. In a statement Webb gave to ITMate, he says, quote, It is unfortunate that I cannot simply be given the same space and respect to explore my identity that so many of those targeting me demand for themselves. It's possible I may change my mind down the road. The process of identity exploration is complex and oftentimes at the end of our personal journey, we end right back where we started. Webb goes on to tell IT Mate this is just his true authentic self. All right, that's a report from iTeam8 on a councilman, uh, as you just heard, who uh, it's a white guy. And I say that for the sake of radio so you can understand what's going on in the video that you just heard the audio of. And he uh, he says that he's, uh, he identifies as a woman, as a woman of color. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a hysterical story. And when they, you know, they give him some backlash, he kind of gives them back some of their own rhetoric. And it, it's it's laughable, but it's serious. And it, it's it's a problem, to say the least. Now, um, I think it's what's really interesting here is that ultimately, I think this gender ideology um, crazy, if you will, it, it will ultimately be the end of itself because they can't support their own argument. But it's interesting to see how it plays out. And there's a, a, a poll out um, or you know, survey here that says 77 percent of American adults believe it's inappropriate for teachers to discuss their transgender identities with students in kindergarten through third grade. And a majority of these Americans believe that gender is determined at birth. 
they're also against biological males in women's sports. And I thought, well, you know, obviously, I mean, I think a lot of people think that, and it's clear that, that they do. Uh, but now we, uh, we have some quantifiable evidence of it. And, and I think, man, it's a crazy time of day. It's a crazy time of year, crazy time of life when we have, you know, councilmen <laughs> making these types of crazy declarations. So I wanted to, to bring in uh, Keisha King. Now, you may remember Keisha King. She was, I think, at the time with Moms for America, and she was excellent at uh, defending um, her child and others when she was advocating for parental rights and taking on the fight against CRT. And she's continued that advocacy and hosts the show. And you can learn all about her at KeishaKing.com. That's Keisha with a Q. But I want to welcome Keisha King. Keisha King, welcome. Thank you so much, Rich. So glad to be on. It's my pleasure. So I, I want to get your, your take. Let's first talk about this, uh, this councilman who's identifying as a woman before we talk about the poll. What's your initial reaction to that? <laughs> my initial reaction was I thought it was brilliant. I thought, you know, why not give them a little bit of what they give everybody else. I think that he's trolling. <laughs> I honestly do. I don't think mm-hmm. he's, I'm, I'm glad he's able to do it with a straight face and keep it going. Um, but I think it's good to get people to think also sometimes these types of things that's, you know, the trolls or the memes, you know, that's what it makes you do. It makes you kind of think like, Oh, okay. Maybe, um, maybe this doesn't make sense. If you follow this to its you know logical end, it, not going to really work out that well for you. So um, I did get a laugh out of it. But like you said, it is a serious situation because we have so many people who are suffering from what I do believe uh, is a mental illness. And, um, you know, it's just so pervasive in our society that it's come to where you have uh, people running for office that are, you know, identifying this way just to prove a point. Right. And and again, I think, yeah, it's all fun and games and trolling is great uh, when when you're all adults. Uh, but the reality is there are people that are doing this that are doing it seriously and they're doing it uh, with children and in front of our children and whether they're teachers or whatever, and what have you. And and we've really gotten so far in a place where I think people have, for lack of a better word, maybe you could help me articulate this, but I feel like people are being guilted into thinking that if they have an opinion different from the mainstream narrative, that they're automatically a bigot. <laughs> and, and so therefore they're guilted into this and they're like, no, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. And you can be as trans as you want to be. And that's the best thing ever. And give me a flag. I'll put it on my car. And, and, and I think that's sheer insanity that, that people are being bullied into thinking a certain way, but maybe I'm just being, you know, over the top. What say you? No, I think you're right. Um, it's certainly bullying. I mean, it's it's a shame where we live in a country now where you can't have a difference of opinion without being called a name. You know, how America started, I mean, it was vigorous debate. We used to understand and respect debate. I mean, if they can't handle this, you know, they certainly didn't want to be around when the first and second Congress was being, uh, you know, started because mm-hmm. it was the way, you, you know, you didn't want to be around then. I mean, they were like throwing blows and stuff, you know, it was totally different. <laughs> so they definitely mm-hmm. would not be able to, to handle that. But they had something that they were fighting for legitimately. And um, they welcomed open debate. We we have been a country um, up until recently that has been a country that has welcomed this, you know, because you have to be able to challenge your own thinking because 
guess what? You can be wrong, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. when you don't have that opportunity to kick the tires on your own thoughts, so to speak, um, you don't get to figure out that maybe I'm, maybe I was thinking about this in the wrong way, or maybe there was a better way to go about the situation. And what it, it creates is a society that does get sort of afraid to voice their opinion because they're, they're, they're afraid to um, be called a racist or a, a, some type of bigot. And that is just, it's not the situation that we want our country to be in, but that's where we find ourselves, unfortunately. It is. And you know, it's interesting you talk about having differences of opinion, uh, because I feel that we're at, we're, we're, there's always been a vigorous debate, like you've pointed out with the, the founders and, and the beginning of our nation. These were very, very intelligent men, very spiritual men that, you know, came through uh, and came up in the Enlightenment. And and had this this um, strong debate and and lots of ideas and large big ideas that that really um, you know shaped our founding shaped our founding documents and and we're having way smaller debates in my opinion right people could say you know AOC might scream at the top of her lungs that the world is going to end in twelve years but I think most people agree it's not going to end in twelve years they they may have debate over the fact of how legitimate climate change climate change is. But I don't think we're we're debating like you know our ability to have free speech, our ability to uh, to protect the republic and ourselves uh, from the government in the Second Amendment, right? which is what the, the debate that you you were kind of talking about. So I think it, it's an easier form of debate now, yet it's still being stifled. And one of the the things that they're talking about now is, uh, of all things, they're talking about a California bill that is potentially banning certain Christian books. And it's uh, being dubbed the Bible ban. And I think this is something that we're going to, in the next segment, we'll, we'll explore it a little bit. But when you have these very stark differences of opinion, I, I think it's important that we have this ability to have free speech so that parents like you can go to a school board meeting and, and give them a piece of your mind. And could you imagine a world where we don't have that free speech? Um, I don't think we have to imagine it. We can look at history and see what a what a. Um... Did I lose you? Hold that thought. I know the music. It's tough to think when the music's coming up, but we're going to continue with Keisha King. Check her out at keishaking.com. That's Keisha Q U I S H A King. And uh, I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. The phone number is eight three three four Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. A bill that would actually ban some Christian books is working its way through the California State Assembly. Sponsors of Assembly Bill 2943 actually want to outlaw books that basically teach against homosexuality and gender identity. All right. So this is a report on CBN Christian Broadcasting Network. And this is a bill that's working its way through the California Assembly. And it's just interesting, and lots of crazy things come out of California that eventually get vetoed or don't pass, but it's fascinating to me that I remember, like, I don't know, 20-some-odd years ago, there was a similar bill like this going through um, the legislature uh, or the House of Commons or whatever it's called, the Parliament in Canada, and it eventually got passed, and, and they did outlaw portions of, of the Bible that spoke against um lasciviousness, homosexuality, all of that stuff that they felt that you're not allowed to do that anymore. And that's like the law today in Canada. And uh, they consider it hate speech. And it's just interesting to me to see how, like, you could propose all the bills you want. It, It flies in the face of the Constitution. But there's so many people that have been swayed by this type of thing, Keisha King, that I, I think, you know, now we really have to take time to explain why we should have free speech. Absolutely. And, you know, I was saying before, we don't have to look far. We can look in history and see what these types of things, the the outcome of of banning people to speak and of shutting people up, not letting uh, ideas, again, back to ideas and and, and not letting them come forward. Um, We see what happens. I mean, let's look at Mao, China. Let's look at uh, Germany. Let's look at, I mean, those goes on and on and on. This will not end well. It never ends well when com- because this these, these are the roots of communism. These are the roots of socialism. These are, are Marxism. These things take root in society, and this was the plan to culturally destroy the society and then bring it down. So I think we need to pay attention to when when people are starting to agree, it when it starts to become a swell. You know how many people are agreeing with this. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's very much a concern. Unfortunately, many of these things are being started in school, in K through 12 schools. We've been singing, you know, we've been like raising mm-hmm. our voices and, and yelling about this basically for a couple of years now, saying, "Hey, this critical race theory stuff, this is not going to end well. This, uh, you know, transgender ideology, it's not going to end well. These are the things that happen." You know, you start to see people being shut up, and especially Christians, because communists, if you know anything about communism, it is an anti-God ideology. So, of course, they're going to come after the Bible. But it's funny, though. They ne- I never hear them say anything about Muslims. It seems to be always pointing towards Christianity. But, you know, I guess that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, for years, there seems to be a very high degree of tolerance to critique Christianity uh, and a very um, high degree of intolerance toward a critique of any other uh, faith. Uh, I think maybe second place would be Judaism, uh, but I think anything else uh, is kind of off limits and has been. And I found it interesting that it was earlier, probably earlier this year, maybe late last year, when um, uh, a, a large part of the community in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, said, you know, no, we're not doing this thing. We're not doing these 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 books that 
that promote sexuality, hypersexuality, homosexuality, all mm-hmm. sorts, of, all sorts of sexuality in in our libraries and in, in our school curriculums. And it was Muslims that were, you know, kind of. You know, we're talking about um, Ilhan Omar's district, <laughs> and and people that were you know, siding with Republicans, saying we don't want this. So I think it's it's a fascinating issue that is, um, you know, in politics they call it a wedge issue that can really split groups. And I think this is one that has the the gravitas to to do something like that. I just, I guess, putting on your uh, your your Miss Cleo hat. Uh, how do you see this <laughs> unfolding? Do you think that that you know this is a battle we win? Do you think it's one that we continue to fight for a long time? Like, what, what's the outcome like in in your mind? I think, for, well, as a as a Christian myself, I know it's a battle that we win. Um, it might take some time to help the rest of society understand, not just from a Christian perspective, but why you don't want these things to be pervasive in society, uh, just because it doesn't help society. It's just not good for society. There are some things that are just based on principle. You know, you don't necessarily have to quote a scripture, but, you know, if you jump off of a building, you're going to (laughs) fall, you know, if you don't have some type of uh, you know, something to keep you up. So these, some of these things are principle. If we have a, a society where, where a lot of children are being um, chemically castrated and they're not understanding that they are a boy or a girl or they have, you know, they're not fixed in reality, that is going to be bad for society. And so I think we need to explain, do a better job explaining to people, to society, why these things are not good. It's, you know, it's, not just to point to look at it and say, hey, this is not good, but we have to start doing a better job explaining what the outcome of this is, because I don't think that many people understand if this keeps going, if it gets bigger, um, we're looking at, you know, there's not going to be a lot of children who can procreate, therefore society will no longer exist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant point. Uh, and and I, I think it, it ultimately it, it turns everything on its head and upends society as we know it. And it, it, it's interesting to me because I, I see, you know, what what seemed to be what everybody was doing, like Liz Warren and uh, looking at a piece in CNN today, six o'clock tonight, um, East Coast time. University of California, Berkeley, associate professor falsely identified as Native American her whole life. She's now issued an apology. Right. So she's a she's a professor today because she lied about being a woman of color. <laughs> and, and now she's saying she's sorry. Well, I guess she has no choice but to say she's sorry, like Rachel Dolezal and so many others who've culturally appropriated um, being uh, a minority only to uh, benefit from whatever minority status. And, and, and I think if you don't see the trend, it, it's 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 laughable that people are saying, oh, well, we have to treat people of color a certain way, a, a better way, a special way, that you have white people trying to become people of color. And if that doesn't tell you, hello, what, what's the problem? Why, why focus on color to begin with? But this is uh, the situation that we're in. And, and I think, man, we're in bad shape. So uh, Keisha King, I want you to stick with us because when we come back, I want you to tell the audience a little bit of how you got involved in your activism, uh, a little bit about your show and uh, what they could uh, expect to learn from you if they take a visit to your website. So stick with us, folks. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Yes. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Keisha King. Uh, she's an activist mom. She's out there fighting for parental rights against uh, critical race theory and other uh, bigoted uh, ideologies. And she uh, hosts the Keisha King Show. Tell us about the show, Keisha. Yes, so we deal with topical issues of the news, and we deal with it from a Christian conservative perspective. And also, um, I'm trying to bring light on how we can better communicate these issues to our children and uh, and show people what your children might actually be dealing with while they're in the schools because a lot of parents just really don't know. So yeah, we're trying to um, shed the light of what's going on and, and help parents understand what they can do to get their children out of these schools if they choose to. And uh, how can people check out the show if they want to check out an episode? Sure, they can go to YouTube at Keisha King, that's Q-U-I-S-H-A-K-I-N-G. And yeah, so we have a bunch of shows up there, and it's also a podcast, and you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Outstanding. Now, um, and we'll repeat that before the, um, the segment's over, but I wanted to bring your attention to a story and get your take on it. It's pretty interesting. Uh, NBC News has a survey out. 44% of Americans can't name a famous living Asian American. Now, when I was told this in my ear by my producer, um, I immediately thought George Takai, right? Because he's a huge lib. He's, he's a very progressive. Uh, and he actually, I think he took a few shots at me online once. So, uh, you know, he's always fresh in my mind. But uh, I, um, I, you know, who doesn't know him from Star Trek? And, and I, that, that went through my mind. But they go through this study and they, they say that people can't name any Asians. And one of the the people that they're saying is, is not Asian is Kamala Harris. And interestingly enough, they're saying she doesn't count because she's, you know, not Asian enough because she's South Asian by way of her Indian ancestry. And, and I just think it's like, you know, the, the woke left will stop at nothing, right? <laughs> it, it, to, to, to push you into whatever category they want, even if, even if you're right. And you said, all right, Kamala Harris or the other two examples they give are Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Uh, but I just think, man, this is crazy that they're uh, they're they're going this far grasping for straws. What do you think of that? Um, I think it goes right along with the left's their insanity, uh, just to be quite honest. I mean, it, it doesn't seem that any of their ideas follow logic. It doesn't follow logic. Like, why not? Why can't Kamala be Asian? She is. She's Indian. You know, she's half Indian. That's Asian. <laughs> you know, like, right. why, why isn't that good enough? <laughs> you know, and then, but but if it if it was Barack Obama, then if you say, well, he's not black, you know, he's biracial. No, he's black. You know, he has to be black because he has, you know, this, he's brown. You know, but he is actually technically biracial. And you, know, many people who are biracial have a, you know, maybe several different, maybe they're not just two different uh, ethnic groups or whatever. They force you to to pick, you know, a side that's favorable to their to their ideas. You know, so Barack could never have said, you know, I identify more with my white side. He could have never said that. Like he right. <laughs> but he How dare literally you? half and half. <laughs> Right. You know, he, he could pick a side, 
but you know, it's just, it's so weird how we have, and that was kind of how I came into this. You know, I was sitting on my couch and my, and God spoke to my heart and told me that my skin color had become an idol in my life. And Rich, it changed my life. It was, it was just such a revelation to me. And, um, it really has made me look at race and uh, my faith in particular, just so different where we put so much emphasis on something that is so superficial. You could look at me. Sure. You see, you can see that I'm, I'm black, but it tells you nothing about me. It tells you nothing about me. And instead of us digging a little bit deeper, having better relationships with each other, just because, you know, we might have something in common or we might like the same, I don't know, sports or whatever. No, we stop at race. We let that be just this huge determining thing. And it has got to stop. It is literally destroying our society. And, and you know, um, I agree with what you're saying, but, but I'll, I'll also say that, you know, people look at me and they'll say, well, this guy's brown. And yeah, okay, so my parents are Puerto Rican. Uh, yes, I do like rice and beans. I do love pernil, <laughs> roast pork. Uh, I do like reggaeton and Spanish music. I, I like all that stuff. And, and, and our parties do look like they, they are on TV. But, but uh, that's just a celebration of culture and, and history and, and family and whatnot. Um, I, I think you're right that you still don't know who these people are. You don't know that we love America. You don't know that we love Jesus. You don't know anything about what we stand for, what we do, other than certain customs that we may have, which I think should be celebrated. There's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. liking where you're from and whatnot. So I, I think you're right. And, and it's, the, it's both sides of the same coin is the point I'm making that whether stereotypes are accurate or not, there's so much more anyway, right? It doesn't matter that we do these things because that stuff is irrelevant. And and I think uh, we've gone so far away from the idea that, that uh, King had put out there, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And I had a guest recently who was taking shots at King and they were very valid ones. But I think one of the things that I, I think really resonated for me my entire life was this um, focus on the content of your character, not the color of your skin. And, and for me as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, New York, in a very, very racially mixed uh, neighborhood, but that was predominantly Jewish, though, um, and Haitian, I would say, um, think of that, like nice uh, mix, right? Jewish, Haitian, it was just very, very eclectic. Uh, I, um, it made a lot of sense to me. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I've got very, very diverse, racially, culturally diverse kids in my kindergarten class. And that's how my life has been since. So I think uh, I never had this um, problem, but I think there's a lot of people who didn't grow up that way. And they did grow up within uh, communities of, of, of people that were like them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Right. If you grew up in Chinatown with a bunch of people that were from China or celebrate Chinese culture. Great. If you grew up in a black neighborhood, a white neighborhood or a racially mixed neighborhood. Uh, I think if, if you're Barack Obama and you want to identify with your mom's side of the family and the white half of you, then power to you. And I, I just uh, for me, I can't I can't figure out why we still allow the race hustlers to do what they want. You know, I think I, I've been saying this more uh, public that it's a cult. You know, it, it's like you have to agree with everything that the left says. Otherwise, they would just completely disown you or you can't be a part of their little group. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a very strange and bizarre thing that we're watching with one part of our society. And, you know, of course, you know, America is we're the most diverse <laughs> nation on, in the world, and yet we're accused of being the most racist. It's just bizarre. 
And we don't come out, you know, of our little bubbles long enough. Well, particularly the left, you know, they don't come out long enough to see this doesn't make any sense. You know, my my children, their friends look like some of everything. You know, they are not thinking about that. They only start to think about that. And when these situations come are pushed before them, but it's not their natural, that's not how they're looking at their friends, you know, but now they're growing up in this, this, this world where it's like, Oh, you got to know, you know, what this person, what color they were, or, you know, what, you know, what race they were before you can judge a situation to know if it was right or wrong. No, it's either right or wrong. It doesn't matter what color you are. It has nothing to do with it. And so, you know, we get into a lot of trouble when we try to determine what is right, what is wrong, when it's based on these very superficial um, things like skin color. I mean, every most of us have melanin unless you are an, uh, an albino. So, you know, it's like we, we, just, we just span the rainbow. You know, we just do. It's God's show of variety. It's beautiful. It's not it to is. be... Keisha King, I want to jump in just because we got to take a quick pause. We're going to come right back to you and wrap up. So stick with us, folks. 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Keisha King. Check her out at KeishaKing.com and that's Q-U-I-S-H-A King.com. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Cinco de Mayo, by the way. Cinco de Mayo today. And uh, we're going to get into a conversation on the economy straight ahead. But first, we're going to wrap up with Keisha King. She's the host of the Keisha King Show. You can check it out. I follow her on Instagram. Excellent account. I recommend you check her out there as well. Keisha King, let everybody know how they can follow you if they want to keep up to speed with what you're doing. Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Keisha, Q-U-I-S-H-A-K, on Twitter at I am, I'm Keisha K, or just Google me, Keisha King, or go to KeishaKing.com and you can get all of my info there if you want to book me to speak or follow me on our social media. Outstanding. Now, um, I, I hope uh, we didn't keep you up too late, the, the, being that we're live and national at this time at, of night. But uh, I really appreciated your commentary, and I hope that you'll consider coming back. I had a wonderful time. Great conversation. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. Take care. God bless. Keep up the good work. And, folks, straight ahead, we're going to have this discussion on the economy. We're going to also get to some of your calls and more. Plus, it's Open Phone America coming up in the third hour of the program. And always make sure you um, stay up to speed with what's going on. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. That's my original podcast, short one hour, four segment podcast uh, that I've been doing for years. And uh, of course, the podcast for this show as well. And you can learn about all of that at richvaldezamericatnight.com, richvaldezamericatnight.com. Anyway, stick around for more conversation to come. It's Cinco de Mayo, and we're coming right back. 
Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right. Going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to. Be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, Joe Biden had uh, several meetings today with his Invest in America cabinet today. Uh, There was a lot of things that he had to say. I'm going to play a little bit of it for you so that you can have an idea. But he says that it's the MAGA Republicans that are trying to hold the debt ceiling hostage. And uh, listen to this. And the budget I proposed to, that we're going to propose back on March 9, I think it was the first couple of weeks of March, that budget, if it were to be passed, would cut the deficit another $3 trillion, $3 trillion over the next 10 years. Unfortunately, our, I won't say Republican because I think they're not, they're pretty well divided, but our MAGA Republicans in Congress are threatening to do all this progress by letting us, quote, default on the debt unless we agree to their demands. The two are totally unrelated. Whether you pay the debt or not doesn't have a damn thing to do with what your budget is. So Biden, and I believe that most of the Democrats do this as well, constantly try to make it look like if we if we don't spend more money than we were planning on spending or have spent in the past, that this is somehow going to um, damage the full faith and credit of the United States. I believe that this is a uh, conflation of fact that is inaccurate and it's demagoguery at its worst. Uh, I do believe we have to pay our bills, but I think we have to spend a whole lot less And um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to bring in an expert uh, because uh, E.J. Anthony, he's an economist. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's uh, terrific on these issues. E.J. Anthony, welcome back. Hey, Rich. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. 
So let, let's talk about what you just heard President Biden say, because I feel like uh, there's a whole lot of this going on. And it happens every time they want to raise the debt ceiling, every time they want to spend more money and and have uh, carte blanche, if you will. Uh, th- this is the 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 go to. And and I just think it it's it's not accurate. And it's 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 kind of bullying. Well, do you remember that catastrophic default that we had on our nation's debt during the 1990s when uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton couldn't agree on a budget and whether or not to raise the deficit? Do you remember that? Oh, no, that's right. You don't remember it. No one does because it didn't happen. Right. Right. Uh, Every time every time we have one of these cases where we bump up against the debt ceiling for a brief period of time, all that happens is another partial government shutdown. And most of the time, these things are never even noticed by the American people. Frankly, the only time it was noticed during the 90s is is because it, it spawned it helped spawn the uh, the Lewinsky scandal. Right. So I, I think that they um, they use this debt ceiling thing because I think for many people, it just makes a lot of sense. You know, if I tell a, a normal person and by normal, I mean, that's not a. Um, you know, in the no type of per- person that is busy running their life and caring for their kids and trying to pay their bills. And you say, hey, you can't default on your credit. They're like, no, of course not. I, I want to pay for my house. I want to pay my car off. I, I want to pay all my bills on time. So I think it goes against the conventional wisdom of honest, hardworking people in America. And so they use this rhetoric to their advantage. But it, it, it's 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 brilliant for them, I guess. But ultimately, I feel like it's a tremendous disservice to the country. Yes, it's been very frustrating, to say the least, to listen to people like Biden, like Janet Yellen, walk around and and throw around the word default so casually. I mean, the United States has essentially zero risk of defaulting on its debt. It takes in the Treasury, that is, takes in more than enough revenue to cover all of our uh, Treasury bonds, bills and notes. We also have plenty of revenue to pay for things like Social Security recipients, uh, Medicare recipients, uh, veterans benefits. So all of those things are covered. All Again, all that would happen uh, from bumping up against the, get, the debt ceiling would be a partial government shutdown. So we can still pay for all those essentials, just like the family in the scenario you're talking about. But maybe we have to cut back uh, on, on, frankly, some of the extras that we have that we don't need in this budget, whether it's the federal budget or the family budget. Hundred percent, and that's the point that I try to make. And I feel like it's, uh, and maybe uh, you know, I'm taking it too personally, but I just feel like it's over and over this nonstop loop of saying the same thing, and and I think people get scared, and they're just like, no, well, do whatever Biden says because we don't want to default. You know, that's the worst thing ever, and it's kind of what our parents raised us to think: you to pay your bills, work hard, and it's uh, ultimately putting us, I think, in in a position where we're falling right into the trap of saying, sure, spend more money, spend more money. We'll just keep raising the debt ceiling. Now, um, I want to move from the debt ceiling, um, if there's nothing else that you want to add on that topic, uh, to um, what's going on with the banks. Because, you know, at first I was like, well, it's isolated. Then we're seeing another one. Now we see another one. So I think there's, you know, three big bank collapses that have occurred. And, um, you know, it, it starts to make the people that are screaming doom and gloom you know, since 1980, saying, you know, it's the collapse of the dollar, it's the collapse of the U.S. financial system. Uh, it, it seems to give them more credence. And while that could be something that happens down the road, uh, I don't know that we're there today. What's your take overall? 
Well, I, I know you said move away from the uh, the debt ceiling and to this issue of the banking crisis, but the two are related, namely because mm-hmm. excessive government spending got us into both of these messes, and it's only stopping the spending that's going to get us out again of, of both of these messes. Uh, in in the case of the banks, uh, by spending trillions and trillions of dollars we didn't have, and the Federal Reserve printing that money to pay for the massive deficits that ensued both under Trump and under Biden for the last three years, uh, we created systemic interest rate risk for the banking system. And so you now have many banks who are literally underwater on their balance sheet. In other words, if they actually have to sell off assets today in order to pay depositors, they will be in a situation where they are taking losses and will very quickly run out of cash and find that that their overall financial positions are negative. The fancy word for that is, wait for it, bankrupt. And by the way, this is not simply an issue uh, at, at a few banks. This is very widespread across the sector. And the Federal Reserve itself uh, has, has really been hit by this. And it's of their own making. Uh, but their balance sheet alone for example, is about a trillion dollars in the red. It takes a special kind of incompetence, let me just say, to literally have a money printer and somehow still manage to lose a trillion dollars. Now, again, I always ask these questions because I feel like there's, you know, if I were a listener and I I am an avid listener of talk radio, um, that would be what I want to know. How do we have all these smart people to make all these bad decisions? Oh, goodness. Now that that is really the trillion dollar question to to throw that word out again. Trillion. Um, Yeah, I I think part of the problem uh, with with academics is that they can very often outthink themselves. Right. And Mm -hmm. and they because they're so removed from the real world, because they're so used to to their ivory towers, uh, they can forget some of the very basic laws of nature, of economics. And as a consequence of that, they they overthink things and, and they outsmart themselves. And they forget that, you know, at the end of the day, there are some very basic truths that you can't get around. You know, you can't square the circle on certain things. And you, you're observing the Fed right now in real time as a very good example of that, realizing in so many ways that, you know what, there is no good way to spend, borrow, and print trillions upon trillions of dollars we don't have and not expect negative consequences. And you look back and it seems so obvious that only an academic could have overlooked it. You know, I think that's a brilliant response. And uh, on a quick aside, it reminds me of um, a, a story from uh, the economist Thomas Sowell. And he said, you know, the question posed to him was, how did you go from being a a Marxist when you were at Harvard to becoming a more conservative uh, today? And and his response was socialism was great until we, you know, tried it (laughs) when it figured out that it could not be done. It it was it was that simple. And and it seems like that that's the answer here. It's you know, everything seems good to the academics in theory, but in practice, none of it seems to work. So, all right, we'll continue. Exactly, Go ahead. exactly right. Yep, I, I, I'm just going to take a quick pause here and remind everybody that we're on with E.J. Anthony. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Catch him on Twitter, at Real E.J. Anthony, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
America, this is Night. This is Rich Valdez. The really good news is working age Americans are participating in the labor force at the highest rate in 15 years, not just since the pandemic, in 15 years. That was Biden saying uh, this is the good news here, but he also says there's good news um, with respect to inflation. Listen to this. Inflation is now down 40 percent since last summer. It's come down the last nine months in a row. We obviously have more work to do, but we're trending in the right direction. And uh, I think we're making real progress. E.J. Anthony, should we be celebrating this jobs report that was released today? My goodness. No, Rich, not at all. You know, you, you look at, for example, the overall number of jobs that were added. And yes, that beat expectations. But then you go back and you look and you see that the revisions to the two previous months came down heavily. And, and basically, once you factor all of that in, Rich, what you find is that uh, the last several months and, and today's data uh, you know, uh, for the month of April, you can include in this, uh, these reports actually have not been coming in above expectations as we thought. They've been missing expectations. And so what we're actually seeing in the labor market is a severe uh, cool down as we as we were expecting, frankly. Yeah, the White House seems pretty uh, happy about this. They also seem pretty keen on on the um, on the inflation number. And I find it interesting how they cherry pick. And again, it is politics. I guess you're going to get that. Uh, But um, cherry picking, you know, where you could pick the largest number saying it's down 40 percent from, I guess, whatever period last summer. Um, I don't feel like inflation is down 40 percent. How do they figure that one? Oh, my goodness. You know, essentially what what they're doing is they they are taking uh, the worst uh, month of inflation during the Biden administration and comparing it to today and saying, see how much less today's inflation rate is than it was at at this very horrific period in time, frankly. But, you know, that's really damning with faint praise. Uh, When Mm -hmm. when Biden took office, the inflation rate was only 1.4 percent for an entire year. But just a year and a half later, he managed to run up monthly inflation so high that prices were rising about as fast in a single month as they did in the entire year before he became president. You know, another thing that the president loves to talk about uh, is how much nominal wages have gone up. And, And that part of the story is true, at least, right? People are getting paid substantially more, but prices have risen so much faster than wages that now, uh, even though you're getting more in your paycheck, you can afford less with it which is just absolutely mm-hmm. devastating uh, the middle class and, and also those lower income groups as well. Right. I remember for years when people would get a cost of living increase and not even a raise, but a cost of living increase, it was typically attached to um, uh, whatever number they imagined inflation to be. And, and people are getting increases now in, in wages, but it doesn't even keep up with the cost of inflation. So it's clearly not keeping up with the cost of living. I don't know what they would call them now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we'd have to get the bureaucrats to come up with uh, with, with some other kind of Orwellian doublespeak, right, to describe it. <laughs> right. You know, but but we, we, just saw, we just saw this with the 
uh, uh, the data that was just released today, early this morning, for example, uh, where nominal earnings, in other words, just the, just the the earnings that you get if we just want to talk about dollars, right? Yeah, that that went up about a half a percent. But uh, the the latest estimates, mine included, for inflation for last month are six tenths of a percent. In other words, yet again, prices are up faster than wages. And the president loves to talk about the fact that, oh, this is so much better. Uh, you know, uh, people's earnings adjusted for inflation is so much better than it was uh, eight or nine months ago. Okay, eight or nine months ago was literally the only time in your administration when things were worse than they are right now. Right. <laughs> Beating your personal worst. Uh, the new the new way to run the White House. Uh, I, I, I can't. Uh, let's uh, so so let's go back. Let's recap. Right, we've got uh, two hundred and fifty three thousand jobs. Some are saying that this is uh, phenomenal job growth. Uh, others are saying that uh, it, it's it's beating expectation. Others saying it's not meeting expectation. Uh, where where do we need to be to to be on track to get to where we were? Let's just say like pre Biden, because. Um, we just raised interest rates again yesterday, I think a quarter point. Uh, so I, I don't know how much more of that we endure. What, what say you? Oh, goodness. Uh, that's a very, very complicated question. We're touching on a lot of issues here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, the, the labor market is still down about 2 million people. If you compare uh, a lot of the pre-pandemic trends in the labor market to today, and that's even when you account for things like like excess deaths, for example, we, we still see this massive gap uh, between current employment levels and where we quote unquote should be. So that that's the labor market. Uh, you know, in terms of interest rates, the broader economy. Uh, you know, people sometimes talk about the Fed uh, as as if they are a hundred percent independent actor and that they are not affected by things like uh, Congress's spending, for example. And even even Jerome Powell echoed this uh, the other day when he got in front of the microphones, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, the, the interest rate, you got to remember, is a price. It is the price for loanable funds. And so as loanable funds become more scarce, as the demand for those funds goes up or as the supply of those funds goes down, what do you see happen to the interest rate? The interest rate goes up. And, you know, mm-hmm. Congress is a participant in this market. The Fed is a participant in this market. And they do affect each other. And the idea that somehow uh, this this runaway, reckless federal spending is not having an impact on interest rates and is not in some ways uh, forcing the Federal Reserve's hand. I mean, this is just an absolutely silly notion. And we do ourselves no favor operating on such ridiculous principles. Yeah. Very complicated indeed. Um, not not what I wanted to hear, but great analysis anyway. Uh, I'm waiting for when we uh, we go back to that 1.4% interest, and uh, hopefully we get there. E.J. Anthony is our guest. Uh, he's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You can catch him on Twitter, at Real E.J. Anthony. And um, E.J. Anthony, like always, great, great uh, analysis and commentary. I appreciate you staying up late to, to bring us up to speed. Well, Richard, the only show I can listen to because all the other writers are on strike, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's why I've been telling people. Forget those guys. Tune in to us. EJ Anthony, Godspeed to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Anyway, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, and it's coming up uh, right after our next interview. 
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, before we get to open phones, I want to have a really important conversation with you. And it's regarding the investment that Sam Altman made, $180 million, into a company that's trying to delay death. Now, I think lots of companies are trying to do that. We don't want people to die. We want to focus on health. But um, the premise of this is, can anti-aging breakthroughs add 10 healthy years to the human lifespan? And the uh, CEO of OpenAI is paying to find out. It's a very interesting piece, and it it discusses the relationship between anti-aging, biotechnology, and uh, eventually the role that AI plays in in all of this. And I wanted to bring in a triple board-certified clinical and academic cardiologist and clinical professor of medicine at UCLA. He's the author of The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy, Dr. Ernst von Schwartz. Doc, welcome. Thank you for having me, Rich. Good evening. Yes, sir. So um, I'd, I'd like to just your initial reaction on this uh, anti-aging technology and combining it with biotechnology and and overall how AI fits into the picture. Absolutely. In my opinion, it's absolutely the future. I mean, in biology and in medicine, and as you've mentioned, I'm I'm a cardiologist. I'm dealing with people with heart disease every single day. We really learned over the last couple of years that there is a shift in, in medicine. So from reacting to diseases and what diseases do with the body, especially the heart and the blood vessels in the body, we shift now to Uh, from reactive to what we call regenerative medicine. And that means we don't want to react just to damage, we want to repair it. And that's where biology and nanotechnology come in place, including stem cell therapy, where we basically try to find biological means coming out from ourselves, from our own bodies, to repair damage, to reverse, especially age-related degeneration in our bodies. And that subsequently will probably not lead to immortality, but definitely definitely to longevity. So we believe that we can prolong life for at least 10, 20, maybe 50 years within the next 20 years. Now, what, what would we be doing to do that? Uh, what are some of the, uh, I guess, uh, approaches that uh, you would take in medicine to prolong someone's life? It's something as simple as well, weight I mean, loss the- or beyond that well it's 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 not one magic pill let's say it like this and right. not ma- one magic injection but if you look in into nature there is certain species for example there is a species which is called um Toritopsis domii which is a jellyfish and that species is immortal because whenever that species that jellyfish is damaged or injured it uh, reverses itself into like a fetal state, if you wish, and then rebuilds its entire organism. So if nature can do that with a jellyfish, or if bacteria have um, radiodurant capabilities, meaning they can withstand radiation and mechanical damage, why shouldn't we be able to do that in our bodies? And what can we do? Number one is, of course, we have to support basic research to understand processes of damage and aging in order to reverse them. And the other thing is, 
You mentioned that briefly. Of course, it has also to do with our lifestyle, with exercise, with diet, with supplementing deficiencies we have. It's not only external taking pills or taking one shot, but it's a whole lifestyle change. Right. And and I think this is uh, obviously this is a very important thing. Along with this changing of lifestyle, do you foresee, um, I guess, more more technology, more um, things like pacemakers and the like, like devices that are going to help people uh, prolong their lives and make them healthier? Or is it really going to be focused, uh, as you mentioned, on this regenerative approach of using the body to heal itself? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask someone like Ray Kurzweil, he will tell you, Probably, oh, you need nanorobots to repair damage, which is like mini computers into the bloodstream. Um, I think that the main focus is exactly, as you mentioned, which on the regeneration, meaning stem cell therapy. And everybody in the world who is involved in stem cell research knows the potential and the power of stem cells. But no stem cell therapy is FDA approved currently, with the exception of uh, rare condition of certain blood cancers where we use stem cells. But other than that, we all have seen regeneration of simple things from hair loss to uh, erectile dysfunction to heart failure to stroke patients. There's so many studies published now, small studies, of course, but they all show benefits of certain stem cell-related therapies. So we are just at the beginning to understand the power. And again, it's not one simple injection, but there's more research needed, more clinical studies to evaluate the effects and long-term safety of stem cell therapies. I think that's the key. Yeah. Now, would you say uh, there's a, let me put it this way. Do you feel that there is a lot of opposition against stem cell therapy from those that would uh, opt for the nanotechnology in the bloodstream? No, I, I don't think so. It's just I think there's the, the belief that you can do with AI alone more than with the body's potential itself. And I don't believe in that. I think you need a combination of both. And again, I mean, we are not looking into something like transhumanism where we want to create a species in the future between man, man and machine. At least mm-hmm. I'm not interested so much right. in that. Well, nor am I, but I think there are people that are. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a philosophical way, of course, to think about the future. But as a physician, I'm dealing with people getting older and sick and getting frail and fragile and immobile. And it's not just to try to prolong life. We want to prolong what we call health span, meaning quality of life, mobility, um, organ function. And for that, like I said, we need the regenerative power in particular of, of biotechnology, regenerative medicine, stem cell therapy, and more. All right. Uh, we're going to pause right there and uh, come back, folks. We're on with Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, uh, board-certified clinical and academic cardiologist, professor of medicine at UCLA, and he's the author of The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy. And uh, we're talking about how artificial intelligence and uh, basic regenerative uh, medicine are are both complementary and occasionally philosophically at odds. And it's a fascinating conversation for me. And um, uh, straight ahead, I want to get uh, the doctor's opinion on how scientists are using AI to read a mouse's brain and reconstruct 
movie clips that the mice are watching. I mean, it's fascinating to see how this AI stuff is advancing and uh, scary at the same time, I think, if, if it goes the wrong way. Anyway, we're coming back with Dr. Von Ernst, um, right, uh right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. to take neural data from the brain, the visual cortex of these mice, and train a deep learning model that allows us to then decode what the animal is actually watching. So roughly 10 years ago, we were at the point where we could decode very simple shapes from the brains of animals or humans. But now we're at the point where we can decode literally movie frames, which has never been done before. Uh, that is one of the researchers from Ecole Polytechnique Federale de Luzon. And um, they are developing an artificial intelligence tool that can interpret a rodent's brain signals in real time and then reconstruct what the video of the mouse was actually watching. And I find this fascinating. And I wanted to bring it to the attention of uh, Dr. Ernst von Schwartz. Pardon me before the break. I mispronounced his last name. He's a triple board certified clinical and academic cardiologist and a clinical professor of medicine at UCLA. He's also the author of The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy. And we um, are having a fascinating discussion on this. Uh, Doc, what's your um, your take on this uh, AI with the rodents? It's it's absolutely amazing, Rich, as you mentioned. Um, you mentioned the study from Lausanne. Um, there's mm-hmm. another one from Osaka, Japan, which showed basically the similar things, that artificial intelligence is nowadays uh, able to decode, if you wish, brain signals. And that was measured by putting electrodes into the brain of rodents who were trained to, to watch certain movie clips, and then you get by brain activity measurements, basically reconstruct the movie clips almost exactly. So this is a way to basically find new methodology to image activity outside or or beyond the macroscopic view, which we do when we look at a CT or an MRI of the brain, but we really measure brain activity. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a major advantage also, people ask, so, so what? I mean, what, what's the result of that? Well, the, the um, transition into clinical medicine could be, for example, to um, support early detection of diseases such as cancers long before you see, um, for example, microscopically a tumor. But you can see activity, which is maybe uh, wrongly, uh, somewhat mutated or is wrongly active, which could be the first stages of developing cancer or of an infection or other damages. Wow. And obviously then giving you a chance to use preventive medicine, regenerative medicine, and try to therefore nip it in the bud before it even happens. Exactly, exactly. So what we can do or what we will be able to do using AI, especially in the imaging sector, is just a a tool to help us to diagnose certain conditions 
before there is any macroscopic visible change uh, even evident. Fascinating. Now, um, I think so much of this, you know, they, they have the study on rodents, they have different studies in different capacities. Uh, I'm looking at another article, and it says that the supply of monkeys for research is at a crisis point. And I'm wondering how much research that we do um, or that is done in science is done on primates. And is this um, something that we should be concerned about, the fact that there's a, a lack of supply of monkeys? Well, I mean, it depends really what you want to study. But, um, I mean, I have myself for for years uh, worked uh, with experimental animals, mainly with rodents, um, to study heart diseases. I mean, do you really need always uh, primates? Do we need a highly developed species? It really depends on the question. Um, a lot has shifted now basically to, to cell cultures because a lot of things we study in cells rather than in whole animals. But we still need whole animal models, um, especially the smaller ones like rodents to um, assess the reaction of the body to certain interventions such as uh, stem cell research, as, as multi-organ transplantation, such as many other things. But in the future, I think um, the need for whole body, especially primates for experimental studies, that's more something from the old days of physiology. And I think for AI and nanotechnology in the future, we will shift away from that. All right. And, um, and that's a pretty fair response. With respect to the namesake of your book, um, The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy, tell us why it's such a secret. Because there is just so much misknowledge and, and false data out there. So if you do a web search on stem cell therapy and let's say heart disease, I mean, you get within seconds, nanoseconds, you get millions and millions of hits. But if you look at the real fact data, scientific data, which have been published, it's just a few thousand patients worldwide. So there is basically marketing and advertising all over the web on stem cell therapy, but 99% uh, lack really uh, reputational scientific data. And a lot of people sell or try to sell stem cell therapies all over the world. There's a huge international stem cell tourism a business uh, in certain countries, including in the U.S., of course. Um, but with lack of any scientific reputation, they, they, they have never published anything. There's a lot of unknowns where the cells come from, how clean they are, what are the regulations. So, I mean, it's more a warning rather than a proposal to go for it because you have to learn to ask the right questions. And I'm, don't misunderstand me, Rich. I'm the biggest believer and promoter of stem cell therapy, but I'm not a believer and promoter of businesses who try to take advantage of patients who have no hope or, or, or believe uh -huh. that one thing, injection, injection can cure their disease. There's no cure of any disease so far using stem cells, but there's improvement of certain condition if it's done in the right way. Give us a, a quick example of some of the improvement, because uh, I, I remember hearing about so much promise in stem cell therapy uh, more than 20 years ago, and, and obviously the conversation is still going, and it seems like a, a great uh, concept in theory. Um, so tell us what some of the practical aspects have been. 
Well, I mean, we, we published, for example, uh, two papers last year on the effects of stem cells for male erectile dysfunction. We published one paper on the effects in very sick patients with COVID therapy, which was a small study, but it showed significant improvement, mainly because of the anti-inflammatory effect. And just more recently, we see a whole bunch of patients with, for example, neurodegenerative diseases like MS, multiple sclerosis or, or Lou Gehrig's disease or other neurodegenerative diseases who had a significant clinical improvement from intrathecal stem cell injection, meaning into the spine, connecting to the brain, not by, not by curing the underlying disease, like I said, but an improvement of symptoms, an improvement of mobility, and most likely a delay in the progression of the disease. And that makes the whole difference especially mm-hmm. if you have a, a, a middle-aged person suddenly is not able to walk or talk or see anymore. And, and if you can improve that, that's a major thing uh, to improve quality of life and, and also to prolong life at the end. All right, folks, we're on with Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, and he's the author of The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy. Uh, Doc, if you'll stick with us for one more segment, I have a follow-up to what we just spoke about, and we'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, um, outstanding stuff that we've talked about tonight. And I guess my follow-up to you, and I'll keep it brief, is with the improvements that you've seen in neurodegenerative diseases, um, are we at the point where we can see improvements in conditions like dementia? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. I mean, we treat patients, I, I wouldn't say on a daily basis, but at least once weekly um, for especially early signs of Alzheimer's, of dementia, people after strokes with really microscopic damage of the brain um, with improvement because stem cells have the ability to regenerate, to rebuild brain cells and neurons. And yeah, we, we see to a certain amount, improvement, not cure, but improvement. Outstanding. Well, I'd love to hear more about that and and the rest of your book. And folks, if you're interested, pick up a copy of his book, pick up two copies, give one to somebody who'd like to read it as well. The Secret World of Stem Cell Therapy, the author, Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, triple board certified clinical and academic cardiologist and clinical professor of medicine at UCLA uh, Dr. Sch- uh, Von Schwartz, I want to thank you for being with us. Very eye-opening discussion. I'm glad that we're not um, going off the deep end into transhumanism. I know that there are people out there that are advocating for that, and I'm glad there are folks like you that are really focused on uh, the regenerative part of our body because I think that's initially how we're made, right, to regenerate. We get cut and we heal. That's that's the whole idea, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Rich, and that's it's great to have someone who is interested in things that Well, we'll definitely have you back. I appreciate your time. Take care and God bless. Folks, straight ahead, we're going to get to your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 
833-482-5337 is the phone number. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't move a muscle. And of course, don't go anywhere because we're coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it is America's late-night town hall meeting, and I want to hear from you tonight, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez, is the phone number, and of course, it is Cinco de Mayo, or it was, right? I guess it's officially over now, because it's, uh, my joke is always Sixto de Mayo, happy birthday to my buddy, Mr. Producer, and on Sixto de Mayo, which would really be Sexto, obviously, but uh, I call it Sixto because it's funny. And um, Cinco de Mayo being my birthday. And uh, what a great day it was. Had a really fun time today. This is the third hour of the program. We had some amazing conversations. The last one in particular was really interesting um, with um, the uh, the stem cell doctor. He was just terrific. Ernst von Schwartz from UCLA. Really brilliant guy. And um, you know, really kind of illustrating the importance between the use of regenerative medicine versus the use of nanotechnology and artificial intelligence, where it borders into transhumanism, which is a real thing. And he pointed out there's some stark philosophical differences in the medical community. And I would agree with that. I think we see that all the time. And um, I really enjoyed the interview. I hope you had a chance. If you didn't have a chance to, to listen to it, I will make sure that you get a chance to hear it on com. And I'll go one further, and we will make a little mashup of that and include that in next week's This Is America podcast. So uh, it's a twofer. You'll hear it both on the podcast of America at Night and on my uh, personal podcast, This Is America. And if you're not subscribed to either of those, then you need to be. You really got to do that. And of course, if you're not following on social media, please take a moment and do that as well, at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, lots of things to discuss. We have your calls. I see they're coming in. We're going to get to you in a moment because I, I really want to hear what you have to say. But I wanted to uh, you know, just um, talk about a couple of things because very, very interesting stories that are out there tonight. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, we talked about the Americans that can't name Asian Americans. It seems like a very biased survey to begin with. Uh, but we also have uh, a hotel night manager who was uh, charged by the police after being caught sneaking in on a sleeping guest at the hotel and putting their foot into their mouth. Crazy. Uh, th this is uh, a, an insane story. Insane. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't care if you like that type of thing. That's fine. It, what's not fine is uh, doing it to people who are sleeping in, in a hotel that you work for. A Fourth Avenue uh, hotel, South Hilton Hotel, a guest woke up to a hotel night manager suckling on his toes. According to the Metro Nashville Police Department, the night manager, 52-year-old David Neal, was arrested Friday in light of the occurrence. He's charged with aggravated burglary and assault, according to the police. Police uh, report that Neal created a key card to set food in the guest's uh, – I don't understand what this means. I think they mean set foot. <laughs> to set foot in the guest's – Oh, man, that's poorly written. Anyway, after waking up to Neil sucking on his toes, the man realized Neil had entered his room the day before to solve a TV issue. So, I mean, this story just gets crazier and crazier. And I guess I'm going to ask Americans all across the globe here, across the fruited plain, um, have you ever been in a hotel and woke up to something crazy? Let me know if you have. I want to hear your crazy hotel stories on this uh, third hour of the Cinco de Mayo program. Let us... um, go to the phones and uh, check in with a few of our uh, favorites, right? We got some really good ones here. Uh, Let's start with Gil in Manila, Philippines. Welcome. Hola, Ricardo. Felicidades. Muy feliz cumpleaños. Thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, that, Gil. All right. uh, Several things, if I may. Uh, You had a... um, uh, a guest on um, a couple of nights ago talking about the uh, pros and cons of consuming coffee and caffeine. Am I not correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and specifically well, how is, caffeine was causing certain psychological problems. Yeah, well, this is a, a little gift uh, for you that I think you'll appreciate. So, one, two, three. Hi, Mama Inez. Hi, Mama Inez. Todos los negros tomamos café. Ay, mama Inés. Ay, mama Inés. Todos los negros tomamos café. I was always a big fan of Celia Cruz and Quito Puente. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, that's um, that's your birthday gift. Well, thank you. uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm also a big fan of both Celia Cruz and uh, Tito Puente. And uh, I'm also a big fan of yours now, Gil. You know, if you drop in a CD anytime soon, I'll, I'll be happy to to pick up a copy. But I know that you're a very well-traveled, well-read, and, and, and learned man. And um, I'm pretty sure you haven't volunteered for this task. But has any oddity or, or interesting surprise happened to you at a hotel, uh, given the um, story we just read about the guy who woke up and his foot was in some other guy's mouth? Well, there's there's an old saying that we used to have in the military. Uh, I never went to bed with an ugly woman, but I sure woke up with a few. Um, if you get the, <laughs> if you get the joke, uh, the uh, uh, the foils of alcohol. But um, but but anyhow, and and if I could comment on your last guest about longevity, yeah, I fig- I figured it out. Yeah, I figured it out. Um, the people in the United States identified by groups who live the longest are the Seventh-day Adventists, even more so than the uh, Latter-day Saints because of the um, 
lifestyle and health choices that they make. And yeah. I'm very fortunate. My wife is an Adventist, and she's also a nurse. So I've done everything I can to stack the deck of longevity in my favor. So we'll, no pernil we'll, for we'll you. What, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I um, you know, I, I really enjoy listening to you. And I want to tell you something. When you first yes, came on board, um, I made a mistake. Uh, I, I misjudged you just like I misjudged Kellyanne Conway. I thought you were a lightweight. You're not. You spend an awful lot of time doing research and uh, getting uh, what you consider the best guests that you can. And, um, you know, and you're catering to not to my audience. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm going to be 76 years old. Uh, you're That's going it. for a younger audience. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe with my Adventist wife, I'll, I'll make it to a hundred. She wants, she says, uh, she sings that, uh, old John Travolta song. Uh, she goes, ho, 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 keep them alive. Keep them alive. Ho, ho, <laughs> ho, ho, to 105, 105. <laughs> so, so anyway. oh, that's great. But I'm very, I, I have a very good life here. I enjoy myself. But I'll be returning to the States in about three and a half weeks for a while. Uh, oh, nice. So I'll have to I'll have to stay up late to listen to you. I don't know how faithful a listener I can be. Are you going to the West Coast or the East Coast? I'll be all over the country. I'll be starting in, in Phoenix, and I'll be ending up in New York. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to have my... I'm, I'm going to have my family uh, there with me, the, the wife and the daughter, and I have some issues with them that I have to take care of, so they'll be uh, able to be um, U.S. citizens. That's, uh, that's my next problem. Well, when you're in Phoenix, you should be able to hear us at 7 o'clock at night. When you're in New York, it'll definitely be you know the, the live and late night stuff that we're doing over here starting at 10 o'clock, ending at 1 a.m. But if by chance we cross paths when you're in New York, uh, it's my pleasure to, to treat you to lunch because, uh, like you said, you're an old soldier and you've been faithful to the program. So thank you, Gil, and I appreciate your kind words. Uh, very nice compliment coming from somebody who's listened to all three of the last uh, three hosts on this program in the last 45 years. Uh, you're one of the few callers that, that I know who's... Um, who's had that pleasure. So thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, brother. All right. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, 
could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency? First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. Sir. Okay, so that is uh, President Joe Biden uh, on with uh, an interview he had with MSNBC. And he, he says, I mean, you heard him, but I'm just going to repeat what he says. He says that he's done nothing wrong and it impacts his, his presidency because it makes him proud. Proud of his son, Hunter. Now, listen, I don't want to discourage anybody being proud of their child. Uh, but I have to say, if my daughter got in trouble, any one of them, uh, like Hunter has, you know, and is under federal investigation for five years now, I'm not going to say I'm really proud of my daughter for making it to, you know, to having a, a, a special federal investigation here. It's, it's just, it's not something to be proud of. And, and it just blows me away how Joe Biden has the audacity to, to just say, you know, look, he, if he wants to say my son's done nothing wrong, which I think, it, honestly, in, as president, I don't think I would say that about my own kids. I would say I, I have the utmost respect in my kids' ability to make a decision, and we're going to let the facts lead where they go, you know, and we're, we're going to follow those facts and, you know, and just focus on the process and focus on the fairness of it. Uh, and, and, you know, Honestly, for, for, for the sake of scoring political points, I would say something like nobody is above the law, whether he's my son or anybody else's son. Nobody's above the law. We're going to follow the facts and see where it goes. Right. Then I'm a hero. Then I look like some sort of incredibly impartial, fair person that ought to be president. But he doesn't do that. He just says, you know, my kid's the best. Play it again. Will you? Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency? First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. <laughs> Again, that, that was uh, Stephanie Rule and Joe Biden about two hours ago in an interview on MSNBC. And uh, this was their famous Cinco de Mayo interview. I'm not sure if there were tequila and Mexican beer involved, uh, but it sure sounds like there might have been. Anyway, let's continue with your calls. Uh, hold on. I got to scroll to the page that tells me who's on the phone and where. Uh, let's see. Let's go to my buddy, Doc. He's in Wilmington, Delaware. He's Joe Biden's neighbor on WDEL. Doc, go right ahead. <laughs> Rich, I go back <laughs> to the show with Larry, with Larry King, 1979. Oh, Jimbo That's and I fantastic. go back to 81 when when Jimbo subbed for Larry and then with Larry in the 90s. And you and I go back. You don't remember me. You and I go back to, to way back when you subbed and worked alongside Don Giordano on WPHC, oh. the big talker. I just thought oh, I was yeah. Talk 10. That's how far back Absolutely. you and I Absolutely. Yes, sir. That's what wow. I said. Well, I well, thank heard you. you for the first time. I heard you for the first time, my brother. Happy, happy birthday. Happy, to get my, happy birthday, my brother. And thank you. And I said, I said the first time I heard you on PhD, I said this guy's gonna replace Jim, Jimbo one day. He's gonna replace wow. Jimbo, and I was right. Having Look said that, uh, let me weigh on Joe Biden for about two points. Number one, yeah. the entire family has a criminal enterprise. That's just the way it is. They they have they have they have uh, profited from the, the Biden um, Senate seat and Biden vice presidency in particular. His sister Valerie Biden knows and her husband, his two brothers Jim and Frank, and I know them personally. 
and a son hunter who's a clown. All right. And the guy you want to have on your show as a guest is named Joseph Stefano of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Nation Magazine. He's a Pulitzer mm-hmm. Prize investigative reporter who's done the work on the Bidens. Have him on your show. You'd love him. Yeah, I'll check him out for sure. Actually, I interviewed, uh, I don't know if there's any relation, but I had a Jennifer Stefano, excellent guest as well. Uh, she's with uh, one of those organizations out of Pennsylvania as well. That um, and, and she writes at the Inquirer. So I'll, I'll inquire about that for sure. But, yeah, I think all good facts. And, again, uh, you're his neighbor, not me. So <laughs> I'm taking your word over mine. Uh, but I appreciate your kind words, Doc. And thanks for being a long and faithful listener. I appreciate it. And thanks for wishing me a happy birthday. It means a lot. God bless you, my man. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Matt. He's near Moorhead City in North Carolina on WTKF. Matt, welcome. Hello, Rich. Happy birthday. I know I'm a few minutes late. That's all right, brother. What's going on, my man? Um, Doc in Wilmington is very, a very good caller. I must say that first. And um, as I told Tom, the call, your call screener, everyone who listens to your show knows what a rhino is. Republican in name only? Well, yep. I made up a new one. I made up a new one yesterday, which doesn't sound as cool. But being I just heard you talking about, or Doc, talking about President Biden's corruption, I have mm-hmm. a new one. Pino. President in name only. Doesn't sound as cool, I know. <laughs> but someone's going to make a T-shirt out of it with his face above the words wearing his aviator sunglasses. How about that? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's 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 a sad truth, right? It really is. Um, and, you know, speaking of that, the um, a lot of people are like, well, you know, he had all these people around him, and he did. But we just recently saw Susan Rice leave. And whether you love her or hate her, you know, she's she's good at what she does. Even if you don't like the outcomes she produces, she's an effective political person. And uh, and she's out. And they just named a replacement for her who I hadn't heard of before. So I don't know. I think Biden's in, in bad shape. He's got a vice president that might be worse than him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a scary proposition. But I still rather have her in the general election than him because she lacks all of the the years and decades of, of experience that he has in being a corrupt uh, machine politician, right? Whereas she doesn't have that. She was, you know, an AG, which is an appointed thing, I think, in California. And she doesn't have that that tremendous experience other than being a senator for a little while. And, hey, listen, um, I, I would rather shoot my shot against Kamala Harris than against Joe Biden again if I had to choose because I think she's really just not equipped and you know she's she's an easier mark but uh matt i think it's funny president name only i wish he wasn't president but that's where we are thanks for the well wishes as well i appreciate it matt big shout out to everybody on wtkf land and we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more we got calls from nevada south carolina montana and more coming in 833-4-VALDEZ 833-4-VALDEZ don't go anywhere and don't move a muscle So, folks, we've got a little competition. No, I don't mean another radio show that's on in this time slot. 
And there are some great ones. Uh, but again, we're the only ones, in my opinion, that are live and national and taking calls. So you can participate in this show. I don't think you can in the other ones because some of the other ones may not be live. But I can say that we do have competition with AI-generated DJs that are hitting the airwaves on something called Radio GPT. Artificial intelligence is now trying to take me out. You can listen to a live radio DJ with Chatmaster GPT. Listen to this. So ChatGPT has done it once again. The AI-powered chatbot is seemingly the answer to all things. From assisting students, and this is Fox News, by the way, uh, from assisting students with study materials to helping Twitter engineers with code connections, ChatGPT has become a reliable source of information and assistance. Some preachers have even turned to ChatGPT for help with writing sermons. The rapid advancement of artificial intelligence technology may seem daunting, although... It's also fascinating. Yeah, that's where I, I live. I think it's fascinating, this stuff. No, don't like it, but it's really fascinating. With endless possibilities, it's hard not to marvel at what AI can do. However, before worrying about AI becoming uh, sentient, um, and this is like the, the Google uh, bot that eventually um, fired the guy, right? I think that's how it went. It fired the, the programmer who made him um, about a year ago. Before it takes over the world, let's take a moment to appreciate the amazing work that ChatGPT has accomplished, according to the article. For example, radio, as we know it, might soon become entirely automated. The media company Futuri launched Radio GPT, an AI-generated radio DJ powered by the latest ChatGPT4 technology. The service is available across radio stations in the U.S. and Canada. I haven't heard this yet, but interesting. Or actually, I've, I've seen it on YouTube a little bit. Uh, Radio GPT aims to, to fill airtime slots with AI-generated scripts and voices and locally tailored news content to provide listeners with more live and local content. The AI bot pulls information from various sources across the web and broadcasts it on the station and uh, through its AI-generated voice. Some of the music actually rocks, and the music catalog is a healthy blend of genres the dialogue isn't insanely boring, yet it's not too colorful either. One of the anchors even made a snarky remark. Um, let's see, a snarky remark regarding a proposed bill making it illegal for a dog to stick its head out of the window. She pondered whether they would make it illegal <laughs> to stick your hand out of the window next. It's definitely enough content to keep you stimulated for a little while, according to Fox News's article here. Uh, they only listen for a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And then it, have a, it has a sample, which I can't play for you because I can't hear it myself, uh, but fascinating to me. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious to know, have you listened to AI radio? And if you have, what was your experience with it? Because I think this is some pretty crazy stuff. Give us a call, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez. Uh, let us go here to Pat in Sedona because you were on the other night and I said I was coming back to you and I went to somebody else by accident. So, Pat, go right ahead. Hey, don't worry, my friend. You uh, you know, I was kind of a boring guy anyway. But, hey, <laughs> you know what? It, I love doing this, but I know it's past 12 o'clock, but I got to do it anyway. Happy birthday again, my friend. I hope oh, you had a great you. time. I really yeah. did. Now, let me I tell mean, you. 
I really enjoy my birthday all the time, and I enjoyed it a lot this year. And tomorrow I'm having, like, a big dinner with friends and family and stuff, so it's really going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the friends and family is, is the best part of it. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, this transgender thing. You you said something last night about it, how do not force their li- their lifestyle and their views upon me, and I will not fe- uh, force my views and my lifestyle upon them. And that's, I, you didn't say it that way exactly, but that's what you were kind of getting at, that they are forcing their views and their lifestyle upon us. And we're just, we, 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 we wouldn't care unless what they do to our children, you know, they go. That's, that's the really kids. the straw that broke the camel's back, Pat, is that not only did they start forcing it on everybody. Now they said, we're all going to force it on your children. And I think that's yeah. uh, a bridge too far for most people. I mean, even the mafia doesn't go after the other mafiosos families. I mean, they, right. <laughs> you just leave the families alone. You leave the kids alone, you know, and when you go after them, it's like a real slap in the face. And I'm going to tell you, even I have gay relatives and, and they, some of these uh, are gentlemen and they've been married for like 20 years and they had to get married in Canada because they couldn't get married in the United States because it was not, it, they couldn't get a marriage license. And now it's a kind of a non-issue in, in our country. The gay issue is a non-issue of uh, the gay marriage. Now, you, you talk to some circles, yes, but a lot of people are just living with it. And they said, they just want to live a normal life. These transgender uh, situation is they're pushing it. And they're pushing it too far when they're having men in women's sports. That's just too far. I mean, and hundred uh, percent guys and yeah, guys in girls' bathrooms. You have two daughters. You don't want a man or a young man in that locker room with them. No, you don't want that. No. But your your kid, your daughters are a lot older than I'm stating. But you know, it just it it sounds so ridiculous to me. It, it really I mean, is. And you know, Pat, let me just say, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because part of what made my day fun today was. <clears throat> I went, my, my youngest daughter is doing track, track and field, um, pole vault and long jump and triple jump. And it was great to watch her compete and whatever. It was great. And then afterwards, my buddy calls me, he's like, Hey, let's, let's go hang out. You know, we'll do an early dinner or something. Um, and, uh, I, he said, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm at a track meet. And I told him where, and he goes, Oh, I'm at my daughter's softball game. And it was about seven minutes from where I was. So I said, well, I'm done doing what I'm doing. So I went from my kid's game to his kid's game. And again, he's like a brother to me. His kids are, you know, they're like nieces and nephews. And I go and I saw his daughter who's she's 11 now and she plays uh, softball. She's a killer pitcher. And, and you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking today was a very normal day, a very, very nice day. But imagine the people who don't get to go to their kids events and see their kids succeed because there's a boy that's, identifying as a girl and taking, you know, stealing their thunder, so to speak. I think it's, it's wrong uh, on so many levels. And, and what's more wrong is that you allow it to happen and, and make it seem like it's right. And, and that's the part that I think is just so demoralizing to, to the girls, the female athletes. So uh, yeah, great point, Pat. Yeah. Well, one last point, you know how ridiculous this is, when you ask people, give us a definition of a woman, 
they get all mad. They get all jiggy. And that, you know, that shows me they feel it's wrong. It's just a political thing. It's a political thing. And that is wrong because this is a serious question and a serious matter in our country right now. And they're playing political games with it. And that's one of the things I think is hidden from society view is that this is a political softball for many people. And they don't care how many people they hurt, how many young women's lives and scholarships are ruined by this. And I, I just, I just think it's, you know, that's, one of the points I want to put out and that's what I'm saying. All right. Well, Pat, thank you for your call, brother. Great to hear from you. I appreciate all your kind words and your well wishes as well on my birthday. Thank you, Pat. And uh, let us continue uh, right after this. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Continue with your calls. Let's go to Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Robert, go right ahead. All right, we can't hear Robert. Let's continue. Let's go to John. John in Reno, Nevada, KDKA, streaming online. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Um, I wanted to talk about the Daniel Penny case in New York City. Yeah. Uh, Daniel was on a subway when a crazy man, Jordan Neely, got on the train. And uh, Jordan started threatening everybody, demanding they give him lunch money. And uh, when nobody was giving him lunch money, he kept getting more and more enraged. And he said he didn't care if they put him in jail for the rest of his life. He was demanding they give him money. And he took off his jacket and acted like he was getting ready to attack somebody. Nobody knew if he had a gun, a knife, or if he mm-hmm. was just going to beat up an old person. And this nice Marine, uh, Daniel Penny, didn't know what yeah, we to covered do, the so story on the show. What's your what's your take on it? Well, you know, I think he was doing the best he could to restrain him. And uh, it's not his fault. The police took 15 minutes to get there. And uh, it was a tragic accident. But Mr. Uh, Mr. Neely brought it all on himself. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, clearly we have a problem here. I think it's. Uh, it's it's horrible what we see happening with it's horrible on so many levels, right? The the Marine wasn't charged, which was um, I think a good thing because I don't think he intended to kill anybody that day. And I can't hear you. Right, he hasn't been charged as of yet, and I think it's um, again he wasn't planning on killing anybody, and um, I'm hopeful that he won't be charged by Alvin Bragg for you know for for what he's done. Uh, it's very unfortunate that people are ill and feel the need to, to go on, on a subway and, and do this type of thing. And again, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. I, I rode subways with crazy people and I've seen this stuff happen. And then I saw it go away. 
you know, when uh, when Giuliani came into office and really hadn't seen much of it until about the last three, four years where de Blasio seemed to have checked out and things have gotten just horrible. And I think ultimately we we don't want to live in a society. And I say we I think I speak collectively where where we have to have these situations. I'm sure that there are extremes everywhere, but we don't want to live in a society where where people are so fearful of what's going to happen that we've got to, you know, take somebody out because they might attack everybody on a train. And again, it's it's a scary situation. And I, I've been in it. I don't think that you should die because you are a, a homeless person that's mentally ill and you, you haven't eaten or whatever the case is, you know, you're, you need medicine, whatever. Um, and, and I don't think that, that, you know, I think there were so many people that lost here is really the problem. And it's all because of a, a lack of leadership from Eric Adams, a lack of taking ownership for making the city a better place and improving the quality of life for New Yorkers. And, and it's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame that we see this happening. Um, kudos to people that are trying to step up and do the right thing. And again, back in the eighties, there was a guy, Bernard Getz, who um, had to carry a gun with him because he felt unsafe in New York. He felt unsafe on the train and he was, he was uh, about to be attacked by I think like five different guys and um, pulled out a gun and defended himself and took him out and they dubbed him a vigilante. And he wasn't a vigilante. He was, he was uh, again, a person riding the train that didn't want to die that day. A very unfortunate um, string of events and set of circumstances. And it's it's not, in my opinion, it's not black and white. It's not, man, well, good for him. That guy was looking for trouble. He deserved to be dead. I don't believe that. And, you know, and I don't think that, that anybody should die in a situation like this. Ultimately, I think we have to hold the people that do what they do accountable. And in this case, I think you have a mayor that's totally derelict. Um, you, you have this Marine that tried to subdue this guy. In, in what he thought was the best situation. And, you know, hopefully they don't say, you know, you didn't need to put him in, in a chokehold. Uh, you could have gotten off the train. And, you know, I mean, th good thing it's New York and not New Jersey, because that would be the, the, the case in New Jersey, the way the, the laws are written in Jersey. It's, you know, if you have any chance to retreat, it's your job to retreat. You can't really do anything to anybody. It's, it's a very unfair legal system, in my uh, opinion. But that's the way it is in Jersey. But yeah, very, very tough case, um, or I should say sad case. And I, I don't think much more is going to come out of it. I think the mayor uh, of all things, um, and we had a clip from that mayor yesterday. I don't know if we still have it. But um, it, it, with respect to this case, I think the mayor uh, basically told AOC, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, uh, he told her that, you know, she she was kind of talking out of turn there because she was saying that the guy was, you know, out there killing people. And while that, in fact, happened, he did kill somebody, I don't know that it, this was something intentional. So thanks for bringing it up, John. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody in Reno and everybody listening online as well. Check us out at richvaldezamericatnight.com. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. 
Debbie in Canton, Ohio, WNIR. Go right ahead. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Rich. Hey, uh, yeah, I, I said I was playing Scrabble all evening and caught you on the last hour here driving home. Um, uh, I just got something to say about the LBQ. What is it? I don't even LGBTQ. know. LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, I, um, for, I'm 65 years old. Um, I uh, took piano lessons for eight years from a guy, and I didn't even know he was gay. I didn't care. He taught right. me piano, and I loved it. And it didn't matter to me, and I worked with people throughout the years, and it doesn't matter to me. But then I find out my granddaughter, my firstborn, she's come out now and says she's lesbian or prefers women. And this is where it's like, oh, whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I guess you I'm know, okay. Yeah. But good. it hits me in the heart because I want her to have a great life. That's the thing. I don't want her to be put upon. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's gorgeous. And I just don't want anything bad to happen to her because she of course not. prefers that, you know? Right, totally get you. You know, for for many years, I would make arguments, and uh, that's what I do, right? I argue with people, and and people would say to me, "Look, I don't care what you are, what you do, how you do, you know, as long as it doesn't affect me." And and I I would always tell them, "How about one of your kids tells you they're this or that, whatever, whether it's being gay or any other topic that we were arguing," and they go, "Well, hold on a second, no, no, no I'm my kid." Uh, and I'd say, oh, so it makes a difference if it's your kid versus your neighbor's kid. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. And I was like, then, then you can't say I don't care what you do because you care what they do. And, and, and the reality is, of course, as parents, we want what's best for our children. And, and we, we don't want anybody to, to treat uh, or marginalize people for, for their – and I don't think that's the case, right? I think the, the uh, ultimate thing here is we don't want our children – to be coaxed one way or another into a lifestyle or into a, to identify a certain way versus another way, especially when we're talking about kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, where this is a a very impressionable time in their life. So I think this is where the the battle lies today with so many people in this movement and the fact that there's drag Queens and and they're they're incessantly want to be around children uh, I think that's problematic. People who make choices to live the way they want to live, it, it's been around forever, and I think it'll be around forever. And I think uh, kudos to you, Debbie. It's your job as a parent to make sure that you do the right thing by your kid and want what's best for your kid or for your granddaughter. So um, th- thank you for your call. I appreciate you listening to the show and for your commentary. I want to try to go to Sue with 45 seconds to go. Sue in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Go. Okay, if you were born today, May 6th, you have a strong business sense and are tuned to the value and worth of things. You're likely good with money or your resources. Security and stability drive you and are behind many decisions you make in life. You are nice. I'm amorous. Well, I am. I am amorous. That's the truth. Sue, thanks. I sorry to cut you off. They're kicking me out of here. But yes, thank you. Cinco de Mayo was my birthday. It is May 6th officially now. And I thank you all. Take care. Good night. God bless. We're doing it again on Monday. Hasta la próxima. 
Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 